I want to read this uh, quickly because this is, uh, just happened today. I just read about it. This is from the Associated Press, March 1st, 2022, just this morning. Thousands evacuate worst Australian floods in decades. Tens of thousands of people have been ordered to evacuate their homes by Tuesday, and more have been told to prepare to flee as parts of Australia's southeast coast are inundated by the worst flooding in decades. Scores of residents, some with pets, spent hours trapped on their roofs in recent days by fast-moving, uh, by fast-rising river in the town of Lismore in northern North New South Wales state. And dozens of cars were trapped on a bridge in the nearby town of Woodburn over Monday night, with both bridges' approaches submerged. Up to 50 people were rescued from the bridge early Tuesday, officials said. We have no uh, we had no capability to get them uh, off in the dark, so we just had to make sure that they were bunkered down. And we went <clears throat> into this morning and got them all out. Woodburn State Emergency Services Commander Ashley Slap told Australian Broadcasting Corps. The floodwaters are moving south into New South Wales from Queensland State in the worst disaster in the region since what was described as a once-in-a-century event in 2011. Comrades and friends, hello. Uh, we're here in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. This is Rob in Bunker Studio. As always, Super Producer Carl is here on the knobs. And joining me today uh, is <coughs> Stacy Henry. Uh, Stacy is a local advocate who's actually working on one important issue right now, uh, and that's folks have, who have been displaced in Wilmington from uh, the Hurricane Ida floods in September, well, in early September. Uh, also joining me uh, is Kobe Owens. Um, he's our friend and comrade, of course. And I'd just like to welcome everybody. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having us here. This is... Thanks so much for having us. Oh. So, Stacy, can you give us a little background about uh, really what happened in early September, where it happened? And just sort of the details before we move forward on sort of the impact and and how long this has sort of been drawn out. Okay, thank you, Rob. Well, September 2nd, 2021, I received a phone call that there was a flood in North Wilmington off of Governor Prince, and there was a need for some support, for in particular for a family that had some small children. So I got in my vehicle and I drove to the area. When I got to the area, the what floodwaters were just raging over Governor Prince into the streets, trash cans flooding, cars floating, and the family I was trying to reach screaming out their window because they had some small children, three, four small children, and in a panic. So I helped with the small children. Um, my van rocked side by side because there were a lot. There was a lot of water. Uh, when you opened my van door, the water was so high it was coming into my van. But we got the kids and the family to safety over to the Wilmington Powell on 37th and Market Street, along with other uh, residents from the surrounding area. They were being bought in to the baseball field off of Governor Prince, and then they were being taken by vans and, I believe, buses to um, the Powell Center in Wilmington. So I did drop the kids off and the family, and I went back to try to help. At that point, they were shutting down streets, so I couldn't get close enough to do anything. But at the same time, there was just a lot of chaos. Um, rescue teams were coming in. Um, I believe the National Guard was there, and the, they had the, a couple of boats. The police were there, and folks were, you know, just trying to get folks to safety and then to one of the fallout shelters and I do believe the Wilmington Powell Center at that point was the main hub and then the West Center City 
was another place they were taking um, the residents. So I chose to go to the Wilmington Powell Center because I'm very familiar with that community. And the families were brought in, folks were brought in, they were wet, they were cold, they were confused, they were afraid. And there was not much there for them as a way, as, as for immediate needs. Um, the Red Cross did come, everyone was tested for COVID, uh, and which I thought, okay, they were tested for COVID, but there was no way to identify if anyone had COVID because there was no band, you know, wristbands or a sticker or anything. They just said, okay, you got to be tested for COVID. So I even had to get tested for COVID because I was coming in and out supporting the families and the kids. The Red Cross was there, but there still was needs, immediate needs that weren't being met. So folks were still hungry. They were cold. They, you know, they were confused. So they were leaving, going in and out, saying, can you help us? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I was even supporting whatever I could do. There, was, there were babies that had needed pampers and food and, and bottles. So folks that came in, they're like, hey, Stace, you know, what can we do? Um, and I would tell them, you know, one, one person came in. Senator Tizzy Lockman, she came in and she said, hey, what can I do? I said, can you get me some diapers? Can you get me some baby food? And can you get me a bottle? And she was like, okay, okay. So she went off, got that. Other folks were calling. We needed warm clothes or socks and things because these babies, the kids and the people came out of their house with their pajamas on, some with no shoes, some with just a T-shirt and whatever. So I had some folks come in and do that. But then the folks were really, really nervous and concerned because, again, they're testing for COVID, but nobody knows who's positive, who's not, but you want us to all come into this area. Okay, so some folks said, look, I'm not sitting in there. You know, I don't know what's, you know, this person could have COVID you want me to sit next to or whatever. So as the day went on, we were trying to get resources, food or whatever. And then nightfall, they're still just sitting around with no answers for their immediate necessities, the things that they needed immediately. So let's focus on the, the PALS location where you were all day. About how many um, like families or people were there. I mean, obviously, babies, uh, children, probably of all ages. How many? How many people were we talking about at that location? And the actual head count, I'm not. I really don't know. I would say in counting. And Kobe was there also. Kobe, you can kind of help me with that. I would say at one given time there were probably at least fifty, maybe seventy-five people there okay. at one time. Does, now, that, does people, that jive with how many people were also, Kobe, do you know how many people were at the, in, on the west side at the west, uh, at the west side community center? No. So what happened with that was um, people were told to go to either one. Most chose to go to Powell because it was the closest to right. them. But these people didn't have their cars, right? <laughs> when, you, when you went over northeast, their cars were still underwater. Um, and it wasn't until the water drained out. Their cars, there's still cars sitting there today that you can see the flood marks on them. You can see where the water was inside the cars. They still don't have transportation. So they could not get over uh, to Hicks Anderson. Okay. Right. So we're talking about around 75. People, I would say people. roughly at any given time, a good 50 to maybe 75 gotcha. people. And then, like I said, folks weren't comfortable with not really getting the services that they needed. So they were in and out, in and out. Nightfall came and... They were saying people were leaving, but if you walk outside the PAL, people were in what cars that were there, a neighbor's car or whoever, they're all bunkered up inside this vehicle trying to stay warm and safe. So they they shut the, the shelter down, like they were going to shut it down, and I'm like, whoa, you can't shut the shelter down. That was the night of the, the evacuation. Night of the night the flood. The, the homes were evacuated. Yes. And they said, well, there's nobody here. Everybody's leaving. And let me just raise a point, right? So taking it all the way back, Hurricane Ida was probably the most devastating storm we've seen in America since Katrina, right? It had unprecedented flooding. 
And you had people who literally was soaking wet for hours sitting, waiting for help. Hours. Now, the PAL tried their best, but they had very limited resources when it comes to clothing and stuff like that. They had some blankets that they could offer people, but it wasn't their responsibility to have the clothes there. It was the other agencies, and they did not do their jobs. So that's why people started to leave. That's why people try to get in contact with friends and, and, and family so that they could get take a shower. <laughs> they were covered in all different types of feces and, and whatever was in that water over there. Yeah, flood water, uh, if you don't know, is extremely toxic because every, every bit of anything that's outside is like in the soup. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty gross. And it smelled horrible. Yeah, sure. They smelled horrible. They were itching. And and to add what Kobe was saying is that we're at a location. The Red Cross was there, but everyone that I asked and the folks people were asking the Red Cross, how are you going to help me? Are you going to put me up? Are you going to in a hotel? I mean, are you going to get us food? What are you going to do? Now now the organization of the POW was just the location, but the Red Cross, what I was told, is when the disaster happened, the Red Cross took over the operation. So the POW provides the, the, the structure, and then the Red Cross was in charge of doing everything else. Now, granted, I know the ED at the POW. We both were doing things that weren't happening by the Red Cross, because you have people that were hungry, cold, tired. So, again, they started moving towards safety in someone's car, getting someone to pick them up, whatever they could do because they didn't feel safe or they weren't getting the resources that they needed at the shelter that they called, you know, at the Red Cross uh, shelter, which was at the POW. So the, I, I said to them, you can't close it down. We just need to get some resources here so that they feel comfortable and that they could stay. The next day came. They finally opened it back up. The next day came, and we thought, okay, they got it. They're going to start to do what, you know, we need them to do. No. Still no resources. Still proper food. At one point, there were kids eating Doritos and water for breakfast. And, and that was provided by the POW. The POW went out of their own pockets and ordered food the first day. And we all dropped off chips and stuff like that the next day because we didn't know what to bring because we kept asking who's in charge. Who's in charge? I think I've heard I heard Miss Stacy say it about 50 <laughs> times. Like, who's in charge? Because every time you talk to someone, right, you got redirected to someone else. Oh, well, talk to this person. They'll know. Talk to this person. There, no one knew what the other hand was doing, and it led to confusion among people who were trying to help, people who were still shell shocked about what happened, and that the fact that they just lost their homes, and then it also led to confusion the people who were supposed to be the volunteers helping the Red Cross and other agencies there, and the fact that they didn't have housing vouchers ready for these people day one is a show that our planning was a failure. And and we we my my support that day became okay, you're going to be the spokesperson or you're going to be the community advocate to work with the Red Cross to get what they needed. But they didn't do anything. So what I did there was the family that I rescued got interviewed the first day by a news I think it was a news journal in the interview, they gave their story and they said what happened and how they still they need stuff for their family. And the news journal published my name and my phone number. I did not know that until the next day when I got like a million calls in Texas. <laughs> when the phone like, starts ringing every minute, then you're like, how am I? Oh, okay. okay. So my first thing was like, well, you know, the Red Cross is going to do something. But then as I said that, I had to retract it because I saw in the, the first two days that wasn't going to happen. So they called. They're like, you know, what do these family need? You know, we need size four boys' pants and shirts and t whatever. So the phone never stopped ringing. Folks were emailing me, texting me. 
Where are you? What do the families need? So that went on constantly. Then that Saturday, another resident of the community said, we're going to do a drive. We're going to get everything that these people need, clothes, disinfectant, all this kind of stuff. And they were taking it to a location that was not in the community. So I called that person and say, hey, look, don't take it up there. They don't have cars. They can't get to the stuff that they need. So he said, what do you want us to do with it? So we took it to a field right in the heart of Northeast where the flood happened. We set up this huge, like, community, come get what you want. People came in groves to donate, and then the residents could come get what they need, anything. You, you need four of this, five of this, six of this. But there was a lost group of people. There was a, a, an apartment building that there were 23 families, a total of about 60 people, that were taken off-site. They weren't in the community, so they didn't know about all these things that you could get. They were in a hotel off-site. And I went looking for these people. So while I was helping someone else in the community that day, I saw a man and his wife and his son come out of that that building that was flooded, the apartment building. And I said, hey, sir, I got all this stuff here. Is there something I can get for you? And he said, ma'am, he had on muddy socks, no shoes. His kid had on muddy shoes, no pants, had a pair of shorts on. He said, if you could get us some dry shoes and some dry clothes, I really would appreciate it. So I said, stay here. I'll be right back. And I ran to the local department store, got them what they needed. And I said, by the way, where are you? Where are the rest of the families here? Because they had kind of dropped off the grid. And he shared with me a number to get in contact with the apartment manager who had placed them off site. I got the number. I called. They were very reluctant to talk to me. But I said, hey, look, I just want to help those families. So they told me where they were. I went out and I met with them. They were all sitting around, head hung down, hungry, just very depressed. So the, so the owner of the building or the manager of the building was able to place these people in, in, in another location. In another location. But that's it. So they, they were able to get sort of to safety that way, but no other services, no, no clothes, other no southern, food, no, not no, at nothing all. else. Okay. And, and the community folks that were still like going back into their homes, cleaning out, mucking out and all that kind of stuff. I stayed there for about a week, you know, so providing resources for them. But then once they got the muck outs and their house were, quote, unquote, livable, they had uh, other, like, um, volunteer agencies that only dealt with homeowners that could help them go back into their home. So anyone that wasn't a homeowner or a renter was off-site at this one location, this one hotel, whether they were there from the apartment building or they were there because they were a renter and their landlord just was MIA. So my focus kind of went from the community where most of the homeowners were to this other large group of people that were just left at these hotels. So their main concern was food. They were hungry. So one of the things that I started to do is I cooked and had hot dinner for them every night at 6.30. Now, granted, that was a large group of people at that one location, but there was another location that some of the residents were because for some reason they couldn't put them all together. So I was going between two locations seven days a week to feed the folks that were extremely hungry, didn't have money or resources or a car to get food. I want to move on to some of the lingering some stuff that you did right in the aftermath as support in the week or two after, and then the lingering issues. But before we do that, I just I want to bring up one point. Um, we've we've talked a lot in here, and it's a big topic in Dover about how we interact and how we deal with the people who quote unquote keep us safe. Hmm. Um, 
th this is a a, a a a cliche that's always used that the 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 armed uh, people walking around menacing everyone quote keep us safe. Um, but when something happens where people need to be kept safe and they need you know basic support because of a of a natural disaster or any other kind of uh, you know, uh, issue or, or, or disaster of any kind. Um, we have no plan. Um, the apparatus that we have is just left dormant. And uh, it's, a tr it's, it's, a, it's a case of priorities. Uh, you know, I bring this up all the time. I'll bring it up again. I was very struck by the photos uh, coming in when um, the Vaughn uprising happened in Smyrna. I saw what I compare to like a small Central American army deployed within minutes, really. Um, and so we can deploy, we can deploy resources quickly. We can deploy people quickly. We can do things quickly in certain circumstances. In other circumstances, uh, you know, Everybody, you know, everybody sits sits around with their thumb up their ass, and um, and and people really need to, as we're talking about this, think about why that could be. Think about how we can rally state officials, hundreds of state officials, in an emergency with sirens blaring to a particular location, but we can't uh, we can't figure out how to safely clothe and house and feed people who are displaced by. Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, an emergency, a weather emergency. So just as we as we go through this, because I also want to talk about some of your dealings with state agencies. Um, I, I, I know I've talked to people at, at the housing department about this and other places. And I, I know that right after, you know, in the, in the days, in one or two days after uh, the event, you know, there were stories that, the city was going to do this, and uh, this agency was going to do that. Um, but here we are, you know, into the next year, you know, six months later, uh, and, and we still are dealing with uh, residual problems. So let, let's talk a little bit about what, what was the what was your first uh, in in the sort of the week, the day, and the week after. What was your first interaction with any kind of like municipal agency, whether it be the city or an, other than the, the, the uh, Police Athletic League and and the Red Cross, which were sort of just trying to kind of piece something together in a, in a haphazard way, the best they could. Mm -hmm. What was your experience with 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 the city, the county, uh, and the, and other agencies that you, that were that were involved? Okay, so uh, you know, I had many questions because I had never done disaster relief before so i had tons of questions these were just normal questions from the folks who were emergency management there was a lady who didn't receive me very well who worked for dhss her name was meryl gillespie who was supposed to be the person that worked with the disaster worked with the people, whether they were from an apartment building or from a house or wherever, but they were displaced because of the storm. She was there at the PAL. Like I said, not receiving me very well because I was working outside of the box. I didn't work for an agency. I wasn't sent by a government official, and I wasn't some, some uh, movie star or whatever that had a lot of money. I was just a concerned individual that said, this system you have here is not working. So when I decided to leave the PAL and start my own little bunker, if you will, I had a shed, I had donations, I had supply, and I was working out of my van. Whatever they needed, that's what I was giving. So when I was asking at first, I was asking, like, who, you know, who's going to help? Who's going to do this and who's going to do Nobody had answers. And that's the only reason why I stayed involved as I was, because I knew there had to be some agencies or government officials that was in charge of making sure these people were safe, they were fed, 
and whatever their needs were being met. So weeks went by. I was calling, they were calling, the residents were calling state social service office. Basically, they were being told, we can't help you. We don't have any resources. And even the state agency employee that was helping to house some of the other residents that weren't a part of the apartment complex was basically co-signing on me feeding all of their residents that they housed at the hotel, including Claymont Street Apartments, dinner. Like, it was okay to make it known, Miss Henry's going to be at the hotel at 6.30 with dinner, hot dinner. I had residents calling me, and that's how I met them. They're like, I'm here at the hotel. State Social Services, you know, put me here, and I was told by them that you're here serving dinner at 6.30. Can I come get a plate? And I was like, okay, I'm not going to turn anyone away that's hungry, but there's an issue here that we need to deal with. So that's when I start calling the different social service agencies along with the residents to say, this is not acceptable, and what are you going to do to fix it? To this day, they are still folks at a hotel that the state is paying for without food. I recently visited them last week. Again, no, no food, no hot food, cold food, cereal, nothing. And they don't have the money. Everyone talks about, oh, well, they got money from Red Cross. They got money. Okay, if you have three kids and yourself and a husband or just three kids and an adult, how much three times a day or at least two times a day you have to feed them? How long do you think those cards or gift cards or whatever is going to last when you're eating out for all your meals, except the meals the kids get in school? So they don't have the resources to, and the hotel that they're in doesn't have a cooking facility. So you have to eat out. Okay, they're still there. They're still hungry. Some of them are still, well, all of them at the hotels are still homeless. I started working with the group that I was working with, with looking at an exit plan to the hotel before they were released from the hotel. Where are you going to go? How are you going to get there? What resources out there that will support you as you move forward? How many people at this point are you sort of working with to try to get them, try to get them safe, replaced, get it, like working with them on a plan um, to transition out of like the temporary hotel to something safer? And also, I guess just on a more basic level, what is going on with their housing as it was? Are these the, the folks from the apartment building who still are? They still don't have a safe place to go back to there. I know a lot of the houses had problems, whether they were uh, owner-occupied or whether they were renting. A lot of those homes still have significant problems and aren't able to be habitated. Um, what's what's going on with with the, okay, with, just the, with, so, the, with the housing bit of it? So the housing, the folks that own houses that are there in that community have resources through, I believe is through, I, I'm going to say the uh, city and Habitat for Humanity, and there's another agency to get their houses. They're also offering them small business loans. You've just been through a disaster. You're trying to make ends meet. Classic. So That's a classic move. I don't know about the, classic the, the small business Classic capitalist move. But the ones that are renters and the one, the large amount of families that was in the Claymont Street Apartments, which is owned by Sonera, which is a huge developer here in Wilmington, Delaware, you know, trying to get them to help support other subsidized housing has not worked until recently. There was a huge town hall with all the agencies and folks who said, oh, we didn't know. We didn't know how many people were affected or we didn't know what they needed. And, and that's absolutely transparency and truth. There is none to that statement. But nevertheless, the information that they needed was provided over and over again. The folks that are still in the hotel are folks that are being housed by DHSS. I went over, I helped them complete what we call rental assistance. Because of the pandemic, there's a program called DHAP, 
which you fill out this application and once you get your place, they will pay your rent up to 15 months because of the pandemic and because of the disaster. But these folks have been there since September who are supposed to be case managed by DHSS, had no resources, no exit plan, no DHAP applications, nothing. They're just sitting there. Yeah, I mean, the, fa the fact is that a, a particular department, say um, say housing, uh, can can figure out a way to get to to apply a program. Um, but if 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 the people aren't getting assistance with applications, with like education and how to go about doing it, case management, it's 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 worthless. I I, I hate to say, uh, I'm I'm glad that. Um, programs are available like that for people. There should be way more of them, and it shouldn't take people being driven from their home in, in the morning because of a rising floodwaters to have to do it. But at least it's there. But we don't. We have no mechanism by which to um, by which to go out and execute this in any way. It's haphazard. Uh, and in this case, I I I would like to get your opinion on it. But again, people in in a situation, working class and poor people. Uh, aren't given a lot of uh, thought, to be perfectly frank. Um, even if there are resources available, it's just like, well, we'll make them jump through 18 ho hoops and fill out 19 forms and means test the shit out of everything. And then, you know, if you can show up at this other place on a particular date when you don't have a car, well, maybe we, you can you can get your service. <laughs> and it's 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 ridiculous on its face. Um, and and so yeah, I'm I'm extremely disappointed in in all of that. Um, well, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that, but I also um, just want to get some some idea of of the people you've been you've been dealing with and what they've been dealing with, like on a day to day basis, not just finding food, but like just like I guess for me, when I try to put myself in a situation like that, and I think about what I just said, like it becomes very obvious that like. Your, the agencies and the nonprofits and the people who administer the city and the county and the state don't care about me. Like, how do you, how, like, I don't know how to get that out of my, I wouldn't know how to get that out of my mind sitting there. And, like, and nobody cares about me. I mean, Stacey Henry cares about me and Kobe Owens cares about me um, and, and my neighbors care. But, like, the entities of the state don't care. And I don't know how I would deal with that, like on a, on a mental, and mentally how I would deal with it. Well, you know, Rob, when you say that, I have sat in that hotel many a nights after dinner and just let them talk or vent or cry or get angry. And exactly what you just said, that's exactly what they said. They don't care about me. They don't care about us. I've 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 sat through several one eight hundred suicide calls with residents because they just say, you know, hey, it's not worth me waking up tomorrow to deal with this because they don't care and they're not trying to help me. And like I said, we just sit there, and sometimes it's 9, 10 o'clock. I serve dinner at 6.30. It's 9 or 10 o'clock, and my family's calling saying, What's, where are you? And in that moment, I need to stay put because I may be the one last thing that's going to give that person hope to even want to wake up tomorrow. And when, when, I, when I sit and I talk with them and I hear the pain, I can't just do business as usual. I have to be a voice that says, hey, and, and, and I'll tell you, Rob, it's still just recently as the week, week before last, I sat with the lady through a 1-800 suicide. So it's still happening. But the state is saying, oh, well, we're case managing them. We're providing. You are not. And if you were, they've been there since September 2nd. Why isn't there an exit plan? Why aren't they housed in affordable housing? Why haven't they completed the DHAP application, which will pay their rent for up to 15 months? But I don't ask why anymore. I just do it. Some of them don't know how to use computers.
Some of them don't have smartphones. So I come prepared. First we eat, then we deal with business. And then at the end, if they need to talk or they need to talk to a hotline to keep them from breaking, that's what I do. And that's what I've been doing since September. And it is still happening. The agencies know the need and they're still not doing. The housing issue right now as we speak, there were 23 families in that apartment building and there were estimate of about 20 families that were living outside the apartment building. There are six families from the apartment building that are currently not housed. And here's where we go back to the agencies. There was a declaration put out by the president. There was another uh, um, addendum put out by HUD and by FEMA. We got a category of folks that makes $200 too much to go into affordable housing. So this person can't move. They're stagnant. In the declaration, it, there's a waiver that you can use for one year where you waive the income just to get these folks properly housed. I've talked to agency after agency after agency here in Delaware. I've contacted FEMA. I've contacted HUD. What do we do with these five or six families that make $200 too much and they're still homeless because of this flood? I've gone to the highest level in Delaware, to the lowest level. I've even talked to people outside the state. And the folks that are dealing with the same issue in Pennsylvania, they said your Delaware folks need to be kicked in the butt because they can do this. They can talk to these affordable housing units owners including Sonera, who's a developer here in Delaware, you can make a call to put them in a, in a small hole down in Newark, make the call to get these folks because the, the waiver is in the declaration. The way that I've been able to get folks housed in affordable housing, I talk to people. I go meet with the people. I say, here's the document. Let's go over it. 17 pages long. You get this on your desk. Are you going to read it? 17 I, pages. Is that what it is? So I'll 17 print pages it out. long. Uh, that makes sense. I highlight the part that this family needs. I highlight the part that this family needs. Like I said, the highest level of housing in Delaware. Help me. Help me build this relationship to get these folks into affordable housing. Okay, they say, oh, just get them in somewhere. Absolutely not. Every person that I help uh, get housed, if DHAP goes away tomorrow, the rental assistance, they can afford their place and they won't be homeless in six months. Okay, if you just throw them in a, a market rate place, DHAP shuts down tomorrow, can they afford that? No, they'll be homeless. So it's the case management, listening to the resident, understanding their needs and setting them up for success. Not maybe they'll be successful. We know they're going to be successful because we're putting them and helping them make a decision on where they choose to live. Yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely disheartening that a, uh, a concerned citizen, a hero such as yourself, has to go out and, 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 and do the job of, of uh, caseworker, uh, emergency management, uh, and all of this stuff, because uh, be because the let's be honest, it's not really the bureaucracy necessarily. It's that the bureaucracy is set up not to do anything. <laughs> the bureaucracy is set up to means test everything and to throw a 17-page uh, application in your lap that you don't understand, or make you log into a computer that you don't really you don't have an account like you don't have that. Like, uh, or to figure out whether this waiver applies to you. Like, all of that is horseshit. We got to get away from all Stinky of that. Horseshit. And this is the, this is the, this is the, this unfortunately is the, is the way that it comes to everybody's attention. You know, we have to put, we have to put hundreds of our neighbors in like life threatening situations just for it to come to people's attention. Yeah. And I'll tell you what hasn't escaped my attention. 
I've been downtown a lot lately. Um, that were coming out of this COVID thing. And uh, I've been downtown with people who haven't been in Wilmington in a long time because of the COVID thing. And they're, they're, they're surprised to see um, more development on Shipley Street. More development on 2nd and King. Uh, the, 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 the mayor on a rooftop looking down onto Market Street from a fucking rooftop garden. And we can't get six families housed properly. What the fuck is going on with this? That's because we have people who are in power right now. Pazicki, Oliver, Michelle Harley, Cabrera, James Padola, Loretta Walsh. All of them right now, they don't care about low-cost housing. They don't care about that. Mm-hmm. They just want the big bucks here. And you know what it's doing? This, What happened with Ida is going to happen again. Because you want to know why? Right? These once-in-a-lifetime storms are happening three times a year now. Well, as I said at the beginning, in Australia, I just read that this morning because I knew we, I, you know, I knew we were going to talk, and I saw this news thing pop up. And again, yeah, a once-in-a-century thing happened every t- happens every 10 years now. And it's only going to happen more often. Yeah. And generally, it's going to happen um, where folks have very little resources, where they're... Their sort of day-to-day is already kind of tenuous. You know, mm-hmm. like a, a lot of stuff like this can, can really create big problems. Mm-hmm. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, like, exaggerate the problem and amplify the problem that they're already having just sort of going day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and yeah, I, I can't get out of the idea that, like, as you said, it's, it's a thing of transparency. I mean, you can stand out there and say, well, we've done X, Y, and Z. And... You know, maybe maybe you did do X, Y, and Z, and you granted two waivers, and you applied this other thing, and 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 you you gave this money to this person. But there's six families that haven't been. It's been six months, and there's six families living in a hotel. So and, I mean, there's no other there's no other way to put it, really. I, I don't think. And there are six families that I'm working with, but there's another whole group that DHSS is still paying for at the hotel. That's just sitting there. And the resources and applications that I have helped them do has put them a little a little farther ahead. But when you ask the government agencies, why, why, why? Oh, well, we're helping them. We're doing this. I tell everybody, you don't have to talk to me. Call the residents that are still living in the hotel and ask them what uh, DHSS is doing for them and they'll tell you what they're doing and what they're not and it's not about me being a hero it's about me listening and understanding coming out of my house from my computer and my phone and physically going to meet with them that whole DS, DHSS issue with this emergency management person that who was supposed to collect data and know who was a directly affected? If you were to ask the actual number, which is disaster management in Philadelphia dealt with the same flood, and people say, well, how did they get FEMA help? And we didn't. You know the thing that they had that we didn't? They had a disaster management plan that was able to record data so that FEMA would really know who was affected and who was not. But when you get to Delaware, when they were supposed to do that, they still don't know. The, the numbers fluctuate every day but that, because there was no transparent data that is truthfully put together to report, to say this is what happened and this is what was who was affected. They're trying to backfill now. But the whole thing is, for this small amount of people that was displaced back in September, there's no reason why these folks are still not housed. We have tons of affordable housing renovation coming up. You got Reach Riverside. You got uh, 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 Sonera's fixing their building as we speak. But you know what they told the residents? You can't come back here. It's going to be two years before we fix our building. But if you go over to their building today, they got all new windows and 40 trucks around that building that's fixing that building. 
And the same thing with, you know, Reach Riverside. They have new construction coming up in that community. We need to stop playing games and picking and choosing who we're going to help and how we're going to help them. Because at the end of the day, they're all human beings and they were affected by a disaster that we are supposed to help them recover from. And it's going on six months and that's way too long for the small numbers of people that were displaced as opposed up the road in Pennsylvania. And when you look at their leadership up there, when this flood happened, they had press releases with folks who were making a difference. They had meetings with folks who are making a difference. There's a podcast for their emergency disaster plan I listen to every week. And they talk about their movement and what they're doing to help the people recover from the flood. How many podcasts or how many press release or groups or task force have we effectively been able to deal with the issue of these families that are being released? I know there's meetings happening, but are there meetings that are going into community and making it happen for these people to get housed and affordable housing that they choose? No, that's not happening. So where this is where it stands today. I mean, we have we have uh, six families from the apartment building that can't go back, and we have others who have been displaced. Um, what's the situation for the for the others too? Were they in? Were they were renting homes that now they? It's like they're either they can't go back to that home, or the owner is MIA, or hasn't done the proper, uh, hasn't done what needs to be done to make it habitable. Um, how, do, do you are you involved in any of that? All, the all of the above. There are a few that are homeowners, and their houses are being fixed. So it's just time for them. But it's a long term process. Where why fit spend government money on a hotel when you can put temporarily house them somewhere and pay once a month rent as opposed to paying a hotel bill for six months. That doesn't make sense. And the movement of those people that are in the hotels not happening because the case management, like the case management that I'm working with, it's not happening. And if it is happening now, it's happening behind closed doors. If you were to ask, ask any of those residents, how often or have you met, have they come out to help you do an application? No, they haven't. But if you were to ask the folks that I'm working with, how often has Ms. Henry met with you? We were meeting bi-weekly in groups and individuals as needed. The library, we meet at the PAL, we meet at Dunkin' Donuts, wherever I had to meet them to get these papers signed and these applications filled out because that is the work that needs to be done. All the resources that we have in this state, all the money that has been dumped in this state because of this disaster and the pandemic, no one should be homeless at this point. Not only these flood victims, you got a big homeless shelter out <laughs> in Newcastle with over 400 people. What are we doing, people? Where's the plan? Where's the exit plan? This is what we have to, we have to work on. And, and DHSS, Poor excuse for a social service agency. I, I'm calling it like it is. Only because I've been working with them, trying to work with them for six months, and they totally shut me out. And, and, and that has not stopped me. That has made me work harder for the ones that I'm able to help. Yeah, I mean, you hit a, hit a nerve with me. I, I, when, I think about, um, when I think about the money that this state generates or... Generates is probably a bad word. The the the, the money that uh, the people make in this state or save uh, corporation taxes, LLCs, other corporate perks and and uh, tax exemptions that people get and all of that stuff. And you and you think about just the, the the economic windfall that that generates every year. And then on top of that. You talk about the federal government because of the pandemic being able to to support states. You talk about emergency funds that are available because of situations like this. And you put all that together and you think about why 
as you said, regardless of, of, of any of this, why is there one homeless person? No well, there's there's no there's no there's no there's no reason for it. Now, I I understand there's other things other than just a home, but you look at something like the Hope Center, which is a very small project. Um, there there's absolutely no reason that can't be duplicated all over the place and made permanent. But we we make choices about how we're going to do things and why, and this doesn't come into play. And and and. I I have to say that um, I hate that it takes things like this to paint to, to bring it to people's attention mm-hmm. um, because it because it's the the suffering is right in front of you mm-hmm. you like I mean you see it every time you you're there and, and working with these folks and it just um, I don't know I, I I it really leaves me speechless sometimes because I talk about the same stuff over and over again I feel like <laughs> and 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 nobody um you know it's it's seems to care. seems to care I mean Kobe sort of mentioned it himself uh, uh, and and maybe you can give a little more background about um what some of these agencies can do or or, or the excuses that they've made I mean Kobe what what from a, from a from a city and a and a and a and a and a position of like the agencies what what I, you you sort of have prerequisite prerequisite knowledge of some of this stuff and how it could work, um, where the where the pressure points are, uh, you know who you can talk into making sure that you know uh, this money is released to do this or et cetera. I mean, what, what's your what's your take on all this? Yeah, well, first off, <laughs> council has done a bad job helping the residents who live in this city, right? They should have been there as elected officials to say, look, it's messed up, but as elected officials, sometimes we have a little more sway with different agencies, whether it's city departments or state departments, right? And help guide these people. Mistake number one. Mistake number two, there is a huge disconnect within the the health and social services department, whereas people at the top think something's getting done and it's the people who are supposed to be doing it that's a little lower down on the on the podium who's not doing their jobs, but they're reporting up saying, hey, we're, we're good. Hey, we dealt with this issue. There was literally a town hall when a young lady talked about she's sleeping in her car right now because there's roaches in the motel they put her in. And the response, now you have the secretary and you have the person she was supposed to be dealing with. The response that she got on that call was, well, we sent someone to look and they didn't see any when they looked out there. That's like, what why? the response was. <laughs> and, 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 I don't and, understand and how people, when they say that stuff, I don't understand how they're not completely embarrassed to, to say that. They they aren't. And the problem and the situation that uh, Kobe is referring to, that particular hotel, the state social services has a relationship with that particular hotel. And that resident wasn't the only resident that was complaining about being put in that hotel. There are bugs. There are big bugs. And then there's rodents. And then there's human rodents. And then there's other kind of rodents. And 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 it's not fit for, for anyone to live in. But because they have this relationship with that hotel, that's where they try to dump folks. And, I, and, and going and back up, to up. that... Before we move further from that, I don't need to see this hotel, right? I don't need to go out there and check her room because this has been a complaint about this hotel for at least 10 years. I was in high school when I first heard about this hotel from people who experience homelessness and supposedly gets help from the states. They do not care, and they continue to place people in this hotel and then they act like this is a new problem every time someone raises the point. Who, so who is the city council person uh, in in the Northeast in this area that was the hardest hit? Who 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 represents that area? Oliver. Okay. Who is the uh, representative for that area? Bolden. Bolden and Oliver. Hmm. And it's, and it's, also, uh, you know, and I, also I, Brown, right? Darius is well, he's senator. he's been 
he's had his attention pulled in other directions. Well, that's no excuse. No, it's not. <laughs> That was my way of kind of like giving him a little dig. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you have Oliver, Bolden, and Brown. Now, the fact that, and I've, I follow this story, and I follow the news as much as I can. I follow even even the, even the city council, who is, it's a, a farce, a circus over there. I even follow that just for fun. And, um, you know, I haven't heard like a, a Bolden-Oliver joint press conference. There should be one every week. Why isn't there one every week? Why am I not talking to Stephanie Bolden right now? Well, like, why isn't Stephanie Bolden fucking cooking for people? Why well, isn't uh, isn't uh, isn't Councilperson Oliver cooking for people? Well, Where are the are they? They're, they're just MIA on this, right? Well, I mean, if you if, if if they were here and and I said you sort of what 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 are you doing? Uh, what kind of bullshit would they would they tell me? Well, I don't know what they would tell you, but what I do know, and as you said. This has been in the news journal several times about what's going on and what I'm doing and what the residents are are saying. So I'm just, everybody has my phone number. I'm not hard to find. And even with having that, that, that form that we had January 13th, town hall, with all the agencies, state agencies and leaders on the call, to the, today I have not received a call, but from one person. And the only reason why I'm receiving the call from that person is because I'm calling that person every single day with here's an issue, this is what we need to do. And I'm going to go back to Delaware Health and Social Services. During this flood, we've had people that weren't with the original group of people that was housed come in to say, I've been sleeping on abandoned porches. I've been sleeping in people's houses. I didn't know that I was supposed to go to the PAL, so forth and so on. So they've gone to three different agents, social service agencies, and been turned away. Somehow they got my phone number. One young lady went to the PAL seeking support, and the ED gave her my phone number and said, look, this lady's been helping folks give her a call. I personally went with this lady they were putting her out and turning the lights off at the Porter Center. And I told her, grab a chair and hold on to it. You're not leaving. They are going to help you. It took hella high water. I called the governor's office. I called the state service center director, Ms. Beeman. I called everyone that I could think of. And I said, here's a current situation that needs to be dealt with. But this woman had been put out three different times from Delaware Social Services, Thatcher Street, Porter Center, Jessup Street, anywhere she could go that was supposed to get the help. Finally, I called and got the news journal involved. And guess what happened? They put her in the hotel. Granted, another young lady at the Roach Motel that they put people in, down 896, neck broke back broken at the hotel we're still trying to figure out who did it and why it happened okay she was in the hospital from december getting surgery on her neck and back all through january went to the rehab center to learn to walk again and then i called social services please she can't go back to where she was hurt she needs help can you put her in the hotel with the rest of your residents Guess what social service told me? No. See, I don't know. The service part, the social part, I think everybody understands. The service part is not happening. There should be, I don't understand how we have social services and somebody goes to get a social service because they're a citizen of the place that they're going to get a social service, and it's not, and it's, and the answer is no. The answer can't be no. Can't be no. They can't. That, that's that's unacceptable. That's absolutely even, unacceptable. They are not even interviewing the people. They're just stopping them at the receptionist desk. And I witnessed it. And and the day that I told her to hold on to a chair, don't let them put you out. I'm right outside. I'm coming in. They still denied her, and and I had to call all these different people and bring awareness. Another situation with social service. Lady was evicted, living in the woods with her two kids. Went to three social services, was turned away. 
Yeah, if someone's living uh, in the woods with children, uh, you, there should be no mechanism of turning them away. Like you got you got to fucking figure you got to fucking figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, what kind of social services is this? And 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 I don't know. Like uh, again, I, I'm I know I know what the problem is, uh, but I'm I'm saying it like this because I want the absurdity of this to be understood by everyone. Like. You, there is no turning away. That's that's can't happen. So we have to figure out a way to make sure that doesn't happen. And I think a lot of what has happened since I've been working with these folks, they really didn't want me to stick in here as long as I've been. They really thought, okay, yeah, the crazy lady's out there feeding them, then she's going to go away. Absolutely not. And even once their place, I'm not going away. You know, there's a little call, a little group that they've called together where they're looking for resources of now I'm in an affordable place. How do I stay in an affordable place? Having workshops on rental assistance. Uh, most of these folks who were flooded out, they didn't have um, uh, uh, renter's insurance. So their things were lost and no way to replace them. You know, these are the resources, the wraparound services that they're going to need going forward. And we as a community have to support that. Now, whether DHSS thinks that's important, that's a whole nother story. But I really believe the five, six months, five months, 30 days or whatever, that we need to hold DHSS accountable for what has happened and they need to fix it immediately. And we don't need to wait for the next flood to try to figure out what we're going to do with folks that are out on the street. Absolutely true. And I love, I want to I end it there because I think that's what you just said is the most important thing that everybody should understand. We are not going to stop any of this, whether it's providing case management and social services for people in the community uh, based on a disaster, as you're doing, or all of the things that, say, Kobe is doing. And believe me, they don't want Kobe to have a position of power. Why, why do you think that is, folks? Rack your brains about why Kobe Owens, who would do anything for anybody in this fucking city, gets, gets marginalized and, and co-opted and pushed out of positions of power. Why do you think that is, folks? I'll tell you. Rack your brain. It's not that fucking complicated. K.F. Stomberg, right there. Every day. Organizing for the Working Families Party. Every day. Every day, bringing in new people. Every day, coordinating with Network Delaware and their issue campaigns around housing, around criminal justice reform. Like, if you think you're going to outlast us, you're not. I plan on doing this till I'm dead. That could be tomorrow. <laughs> it could be next week. It could be in 30 years. And we'll carry on. Yeah, and, and, the, and, and that's exactly right. People will carry this on. This is a sustained effort now. Like, you might be used to what's happened in Delaware in the past, and one person might pop up or one group might pop up, and they don't understand sustained solidarity. They don't understand organizing and bringing other people in to grow the movement. They didn't really understand that. It's difficult work. But rest assured, we're building the apparatus. It's happening today, and we are not going to stop. We're going to be holding agencies accountable. We're going to be holding politicians accountable. We're going to be raising issues that people don't want to talk about. I want to give a big shout out to uh, someone who helped produce this show, uh, who is not available to come in to talk to us today, Cheyenne Miller. Cheyenne uh, with Network Delaware and with the Urban League, again, every day. And so if there's some idea that this is going to go away in some fashion... Or we're just going to get tired and we're going to leave our neighbors out, uh, you know, out in, in, in the hinterlands of, of, of Bear and Newark at some motel that's infested by uh, rodents and vermin. We're not. So that's something to remember, folks. Kobe, Stacy, thank you so much for coming in. And, and Stacy especially. Um, you know, we didn't get to the bottom of it, but, you know, you received a phone call from a family to go save them from a flood um, that we didn't even really know what was happening at the time. 
and now for six months, um, you're a uh, you're now a um, a DH DHSS case manager. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It hey, happened. you know what? Actually, I declined that position because then <laughs> I'm a part be... of the problem. Yeah. I'm just me Yeah. out here for the people to do what I can do to make a difference. And what I've learned for these last five or six months, I will not be quiet. I will not sit still until I'm, I'm, I'm saying the word justice. But yes, justice and fair and equal opportunities for all people, not to mention most of the families, I would say 99.99% of the families from that poor black community, that has a lot to do with why these folks aren't being helped as well. I mean, there's no question about that. Absolutely no question about it. And I said it at the Delaware Call event. It's, it's, our, it's sort of our, our masthead motto to Delaware Call, community, solidarity, and justice. Yes. Everybody together with the feeling of solidarity. So it's, it, it, everybody's included. And everybody should feel that solidarity with each other. And if we work like that, we will begin to move toward a more just, fair, safe life for everybody. Yes. And I think what the last thing I'm going to say is it happened. Folks didn't do what they were supposed to do. But today's another day. And let's get it right now. Today's another day. Let's get it right now. Once again, everyone, I so much appreciate you guys taking the time today. Um, I know you guys are all killing it out there. And, uh, you know, even even in Northeast, where people are struggling and they're, and they're, uh, they're suffering uh, because we don't seem to prioritize helping our neighbors, even there, left is best. 